I think the hard part to answer your question is defining what you want. I think that is so easy to say and so impossibly hard to do is to, is to get clear on what you want. My experience, which I can talk to, is the reason that was so hard is because there were things in my life that I knew I didn't want that I was living with every day. That was a job and a relationship for me at the time. And so to write out what my future would look like would be to write that those two things aren't there. Yeah, well. And that was so confronting because I was too scared to do anything about both of those things. I was too, too scared to end the relationship and I was too scared to end the job at that time. And so that for me was the fear, was the recognition that I'm not living the life now that I want to live is, I think it'd be really confronting for people. Yeah. It could be quite jarring. And then to, to actually put that down is even like the next step of like wishing that into existence is, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it can really rock your identity, I think is probably why it's really hard. I'm Ren McDonald, and this is The Hope Initiative, a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet Earth, where I speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in yours. Hello and welcome to The Hope Initiative. My name is Rin McDonald and thank you for tuning in for what is episode number 88 with Pete Shepard. Pete is someone I've admired for many years, first listening to his podcast with Jen Waldman, the long and the short of it, back in 2018, and they recently released episode 200 a few weeks ago. Congratulations again to you, Pete and Jen. And yeah, after that uh, after that episode aired, I was like, I just want to have a longer chat with Pete, and I'd wanted to get him on uh, my podcast, The Hope Initiative, for a little while now, but imposter syndrome and a few other things put me off sending out that invite, but I did, and Pete was kind enough to host me uh, at his co-working space in the inner city of Melbourne, uh, yeah, a few weeks ago now. So it was a great conversation. We discuss defining what it is you want in life, uh, getting an A and people pleasing, which is something I think a lot of us do struggle with, and then a lot of actionable things in life. Funnily enough, there's a there's a podcast that Pete and I mentioned. Uh, that comes up in conversation in this, which has helped not only me, but Pete as well, and I'm sure a lot of people around the world. But I won't give you any more spoilers. I absolutely love this conversation with Pete. Thank you again to him. Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Cheers. Pete Shepard, welcome to the Hope Initiative. Thanks for having me, Rian. Pleasure to be here. Excited for the chat. Thank you, mate. You're, you're welcome, and I feel very privileged to be where we are today, here in the inner, well, you'd say in the city of Melbourne, yep. outskirts of the, the CBD here in Cremorne. Cremorne, one of the smallest suburbs in Melbourne, I think. It's yeah, tiny. It is, it is, but a very creative hub. <laughs> You've invited me into a place where you sort of operate out of mm. a couple of days a week, yep. and I've brought all my podcast gear, and they've got all their podcast <laughs> gear here <laughs> ready, stitched you up, ready set up, uh, which, is, which is rad. So um, this is yeah already already going great. But to give some context, I have well I've I've listened to your podcast the long and the short of it. I think since its inception back wow. in October 2018. Wild. 
yeah, love your podcast. Thanks, man. And you've just ticked over, you and, and Jen Waldman have ticked over 200 episodes. 200, yeah, 200 straight weeks, which is, yeah, I guess you're right, 2018, almost four years. It's wild. Yeah, I had a, had a look. Uh, I listened to that first episode, Getting Started. <laughs> is it scratchy? It's one of my favorites, really? actually. Yeah, <laughs> oh I, I recommend it to so many people just because I like love the idea of the, the pre-mortem. That's right. And yeah, so now it's funny how you're like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's a four-year right. old conversation now. I'm sure you know it. It's like you kind of forget some of the conversations you have along the way or you know they're there and then someone prompts you and you go, oh, that's right. We did talk about that. I mm. remember that. Yeah, but it was feels like a lifetime ago and I'm often – you know, like loathe to listen back to those early episodes because you just sort of assume they're not quite as good, but good to know it's still out there and still giving some value. It is. It gives a lot of value. And I mean, not that I really feel like I have a definite favourite, but that is one that I recommend because it shows for me where you can begin, how it sort of grows. But it's interesting that not seemingly not much has changed from that first episode. <laughs> like I, I noticed because I've edit podcasts right. almost for a living now yes. that yeah like the where the music comes in is a little bit more fine-tuned yep, yep, you yep. know as opposed to episode maybe 50 yep. compared yep. to one but yep. the subtle differences i want to come to talk about that maybe in a little bit cool. but that's the context in which i know you so this is probably really our first conversation is, yeah. i remember bumping into you yes, at an event a few yep. years ago I melbourne exhibition too. center yeah 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 i remember that too gary v was talking later in the day that's and right yeah yeah my friend josh and tommy were heading in and yeah. i was just in the area and stopped by and we ran into you and mm. yeah small world small world it is so yeah very honored to be able to chat with you today it's almost like a meet your hero situation <laughs> and i know you're <laughs> gonna God, be embarrassed and say yeah but no it is and I think, yeah, when you, when you listen to, to someone and I've, I feel like I've learned a lot from you mm. over the years, you've, you've helped me in many ways. And I know I'm saying this right from the off and embarrassing awesome. myself, just get it out of the way Let's early. get it out of the way. Um, You're embarrassing me and yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're all embarrassed. <laughs> but I'm very excited to be able to, to pick your brain today and the things that I maybe found more curiosity in mm. and mm. learn a bit more about your life. So awesome. I'm happy. I'm excited to chat, mate. I'm excited to chat. Beautiful. So... With all that said, I would love for you to start, and normally how I kick these things off is mm. with the guest's earliest memory, mm. because for most people, they haven't listened to 200 conversations of yours. Yeah. I know bits and pieces here and there, yeah. but would love for you to start with your earliest memory and bring us forward to present day, where we're recording this in August 2022, mm. uh, but I like to sell to set a little bit of a time limit of three to four minutes. I'm not yeah, going totally to press stop, but- You don't need the- whole life story so you mean earliest memory of of my childhood i'm guessing the earliest memory podcast. you have yeah wow. yeah yeah it's so wild where your brain goes when you get prompted with a question like this so my earliest memory that you have just prompted is growing up in ocean grove which is a little sort of coastal town down on the Bellarine peninsula and i grew up with an older brother older sister a mum and a dad and specifically where my mind went is we grew up with a vacant block next to us which was very fortunate it was just a you know, a big quarter acre block that had nothing on it. And so my dad carved a hole in the fence from our backyard into that vacant block. So essentially we had this giant backyard that was a vacant block <laughs> and we mowed a cricket pitch on there. We had bike jumps on there. We had bamboo that we used to set up as like a slalom for our bike ride. So I guess my earliest memory is playing in that vacant block. And by playing, I mean kicking the footy, riding my bike, playing cricket and just kind of genuinely, generally running around and creating a nuisance in that backyard. I don't know why and how that came to my mind, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask me that question. Yeah, amazing. 
So a very playful and energetic sort of childhood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And like we used to play until mum would literally ring a bell, <laughs> which meant dinner was ready. You know, like it seems like such a – I feel like that's probably common of that time. But, yeah, sure. it was like keep playing until you hear mum ring the bell and then wash the mud off your knees and get in and have some dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and you have one brother? One brother older and yeah. one sister older. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the youngest of three. So growing up with them, having those sort of experiences, what was yeah life like? And if you could yeah sort of maybe take me forward. Mm. Yeah, so life was good. I mean, I feel so outrageously privileged looking back. Mm. At the time, you don't know. You just know your own existence and your own upbringing. But I realise now I was very lucky to come from such a supportive family that all got along really well. My brother and my sister had their moments, but like for the most part, we all got along really well. I... You know, I, I think I probably in some way as a youngest child probably tends to. I probably idolize, idolize them in different ways for different things. And like I, I used to <laughs> – I remember I used to be almost jealous that my sister got to go to school when I wasn't of the age yet to go to school. Mm-hmm. And she'd come home after school and sit me down in the cubby house and she'd pretend to be the teacher and I'd be the student and she'd like go through the whole class wow. what she'd learned that day again with me. So I was like obviously idolizing her in the way that I wanted to learn and go to school and – be taught from someone like her. Mm. And then my brother definitely on the sport and the active kind of side, he was a really good bike rider, still is a really good bike rider. So I think I definitely learned that from him. And so yeah. growing up, fasting, fast fast forwarding was just this like, you know, in a way kind of idyllic childhood where I got to roam around Ocean Grove a lot. We got to swim in the ocean a lot. Went to a great school that was walking distance away. My best mate was... 200 meters away my yeah. second best mate was 300 meters away like it was really just this really beautiful small community where i never felt unsafe i always felt supported and i'm sure that has had a profound impact on the way i show up in the world now yeah, yeah. that's cool painting painting a picture yeah, i can definitely see similarities i didn't grow up near the beach unfortunately but i know you like to swim you're still doing a yeah, swim a day still doing the morning swim each day which at the moment, as we record this in the middle of August or the start of August, it's it's testing. I think the water is about eight degrees at the moment, but I, I love it. I just love it. And I, I'm yeah, I think it somehow goes back to being exposed to the ocean at an early age with my old man is a still is a surfer, rode a longboard and still rides a longboard for a long, long time and he used to take us to the beach all the time. Yeah. So it's sort of like I think there's salt water in my blood somehow. <laughs> <laughs> love that. What are the occupations of your parents, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, dad was a a teacher and then principal and assistant principal of various schools. In the end, he ended up at the school that I was at Mm. in high school, Ballerine Secondary College. And mum was a teacher and then when she had my older brother, so her first kid, she took some time off and then the short version of that story is she ended up just being a stay-at-home mum and did some like part-time teaching and worked at a university part-time, Deakin University in Geelong. So, I, yeah, I grew up in a household full of teachers and my auntie and uncle are teachers on one side. I have another uncle who is also a teacher. So, yeah, I, I, I was surrounded by teachers basically growing up. Right. So yeah. inquisitive minds, people who like to open, open doors, Definitely. turn on lights, those sorts of exactly. things. Exactly. And I had, you know, mum who taught English and was a bit of a wordsmith and dad who was science and maths. So I sort of... I. I think I was so lucky to have both sides of it. So if ever we got stuck with homework or any given scenario, you kind of had a resource on either side. So I had mum to help me with my essays, dad to help me with my maths and my science. 
and yes, was always encouraged to be inquisitive and curious and mm. and learn as much as possible, I guess. Yeah, right. Yeah. Did you enjoy school then? Loved it. Growing up? Yeah. 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 I was a I was a I think a, I would say a closet nerd <laughs> in that I was a nerd, like an absolute nerd. And I loved I was so swept up in this whole notion of trying to get the A. Very driven and motivated by getting the A or the A plus, mm. as it were. I'm not sh- quite sure where that comes from, but I was a striver and I loved to essentially try and be the top of the class. I loved that challenge for some reason. Yeah. And and I say I was a closet nerd because on the outside, the story I told myself at the time was, especially in a small coastal town like Ocean Grove, it's not cool to be like book smart or the nerd that's always striving for the A. This is the story I used to tell myself. And so, you know, there's like a bit of, I guess, mask wearing at times where you're sort of trying to pretend like you fit in with the cool kids, the surfers, the skateboarders of the world. <laughs> and I didn't at all. I wasn't good at surfing or skateboarding. I was definitely book smart, but I sort of, I think I, yeah, I hit it a little bit. Yeah, right. At least I think I hit it. I'm sure everyone knew. <laughs> <laughs> There's that Pete Shepherd that, were you always that tall, as tall as you are? No, that was that was like late. I, I'm six, seven now. I was okay. pretty normal up until, oh, I want to say it was year 10 or 11. I was about 16, yeah. And I had to, I took a year off like sport because I had such bad growing pains. Mm. I think I grew like 18 centimeters in a year or something, <laughs> something obnoxious. And then off the back of that, like, you know, started year 11, I think it was. And I was all of a sudden like the tallest kid in class and at school. And I was like, oh, maybe I should go back and try and play footy again. And yeah, and I did. And like various sports that all of a sudden became easier because I was taller. Because you're just towering over exactly. kids, basketball and those sorts of things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, probably, probably help. Yeah, I love that. I, I'm fascinated about that idea of you wanting to know what your little, or not little, your elder sister was asked or had learned in, yeah. in school. Yeah. Do you remember like, I don't know, that that feeling of like wishing you could join her and then like picking her brain when yeah. she got home? Not specifically. I think my memories are a little probably washed with the stories mum and dad told me okay. about how eager I was. But I I just remember I had a like I'd have I'd have the notebooks. Like I'd have my maths book, I'd have my art book, and I guess I'd probably have an English book or something. And I remember like drawing pictures. And she would help me with the drawings or doing maths in my maths book. And she would help me with the maths. And I, I don't know if it was for her because she enjoyed being a teacher in that moment or if it was for me because I enjoyed being a student. It was probably a bit of both. We were probably both giving each other something that we didn't realize we needed at the moment. But I, yeah, yeah I, I guess it was maybe a jealousy of what she was doing that I wasn't old enough to do yet. You know, when you look at someone older than you, well, I certainly remember looking at people older than me and always being envious or jealous or curious about what they were doing and why I wasn't old enough to do it. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think I remember just coming to me now, would get the school bus yeah. and it was maybe 45 minutes between school and where I'd get on start of the school bus. Wow. So a decent little trip, solid, especially yeah. when you're like, you know, eight or yeah, something. It's a solid You trip. don't have a huge attention span. <laughs> Poor bus driver. Oh, um, so both ways, you know, an hour and a half or whatever it was. But I just remember idolizing this one kid on the bus. Mm. And this is really weird, but I'm just going to share it. Please. He had this like phenomenal jawline, <laughs> right? And I would just look at this dude at this and jaw. just like – Put my hands, I'm doing this whilst I'm doing you, it's great for podcasting, but almost like try to sculpt my head yes. 
into more like chiseled jaw. I want to be like that guy, yeah. And like obviously there are other things that I idolised. Like he was a very athletic guy and mm-hmm. yeah, growing up I was a little bit uncoordinated and you develop. Obviously you grow right. older and you, right. you spend time doing things and you develop skills in those areas. Yeah. But yeah, it's just interesting idolising those who are a little bit older. Yes, um, definitely. I don't know if because I... Because of their jawline. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so superficial. So human though, so <laughs> yeah. human. Yeah, very true. Uh, so, I mean, uh, and the next question that I, I'm sort of curious of, and I think it maybe ties into a little bit what you're potentially doing now, mm. but like what did you want to do when you were younger? Did you get asked that a lot by yeah. your two teachers, parents, you yeah. know? Not by, not by mum and dad necessarily. I, I think I was so lucky in that they never applied pressure in terms of a particular direction for me to go to. They were supportive of I think whatever me, my brother and my sister decided ultimately where we'd, where we'd want to go and what we'd want to do. But I have two memories of things I wanted to do because I remember drawing them and I remember probably influenced by perhaps books I was reading at the time. One was a footy player because everyone wanted to be, well, at least everyone that played Auskick or played footy in Ocean Grove certainly in my friendship group, wanted to be a professional footy player. Yeah, You pretty quickly realised it. So, well, for me, I quickly realised that that was going to be a long shot <laughs> given my skill level and and body weight. And so the other one I really thought I wanted to be was a lawyer and a very specific type of lawyer, like someone who is charismatic and holds court and defends people who deserve to be defended and, you know, does the right thing and fights for justice and is the person at the front of the courtroom that people are looking at and trying to kind of influence and I guess tell stories to jurors, which I see now the the correlation at the time. Obviously, I wasn't aware of it. But, yeah, I, I think I read a lot of John Grisham books and he writes a lot about these kinds of lawyers. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure I was influenced by that. But, yeah, I wanted to be I wanted to be a lawyer who was like influential in a courtroom was sort of the – the goal. Yeah, right. Yeah. You talk more or seemingly about like the, the traits or the, yes. the values that those people hold. Yes. And I mean, maybe a little bit about like a footballer, for example, but yeah, could you maybe dig a bit more into into that? Like what, what stood out and did that carry through to an age or maybe a teenager or late teen? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure I'm sure the human selfish ego component to it was I liked I liked people liking me and I think I still do to this day. I'm a bit of a people pleaser, recovering people pleaser. And, <laughs> recovering. and I, I'm working on it. And I, I probably liked the idea of being the centre of attention. I, at times, you know, I, I joked about being a, a closet nerd. I think part of the way that I would hide that was by trying to be a class clown at the same time. So trying to be funny and disruptive and sort of annoying teachers was definitely part of my upbringing but at the same time getting really good grades. And <laughs> so I think I liked the idea of being – influential center of attention and and doing what I think is the right thing and helping this particular person in a courtroom for example getting justice like that doing doing right by society I think appealed to me but probably from an ego perspective I just liked being at the front and being the center of attention I was yeah you know eventually I was school captain in grade six and I, I think about this recently but I, I had forgotten about it for a long time where you know, for many people giving public talks still as adults is like really terrifying and it's something I do a lot of and I really enjoy and I love the challenge of it and I get nervous, of course, but I I, I love it and I do it a lot. Yeah. And when I was in grade six, I used to present at assembly. My memory 
tells me every Monday. I don't know if that's true or not, but I think it was every Monday at assembly I talked in front of 600 kids. Wow. And so obviously you flex that muscle enough times, you get better at it. Sure. So I can see now how probably that, probably the books I read and, you know, the little bit of like teenage human ego where it's like it's cool to be the center of attention, those three things probably combine for me to think that being a lawyer would be a, a good use of my skill set. Yeah. To the point where I applied for – I almost applied for uni uh, law at uni at RMIT in Bandura. I was going to go and do law and then basically I switched to Melbourne Uni to make a lifestyle decision because I like the campus and there's a whole story there that which I'm happy to tell. But <laughs> I decided not to do law in undergrad and took a few subjects while I was doing an arts degree at Melbourne. Pretty quickly realized I didn't want to be a lawyer. Yeah, right. Yeah. Boring, so boring, man. Like just studying so many cases after cases after cases. It felt like you were just training yourself to memorize things of which a computer can already do that was kind of – that was my takeaway when I did those, yeah. those so, law classes. So this is what you did when you went to Melbourne Uni? Yeah, so I did an arts degree and as part of it you were able to do these like breadth subjects and so I would pick a, a law subject each semester just to, to try it out. Yeah. What was it? Sorry, breath? Breath. Oh, breath. Yeah, right. yeah. I thought so you meant breath as in breathing. I was like, like what's that? With a D. It makes no sense. Breath. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it was like principles of business law, I think it was called. And it was whew, it was tough and dry and just rote memorization of cases, like hundreds of cases. And then you do a multiple choice test and it was like, you know, in Rin versus Shepherd, what was the decision? And you just had to like be able to regurgitate what the decision was. Yeah. And that was I was like, that's not at all what I thought standing in a courtroom would be like. So that pipe dream was just that, a pipe dream. How long did you stay like studying that for? Oh, like a, a semester. Okay. I, I did one or two. Or maybe I did two law subjects. And then I the, I was doing arts at Melbourne. The quick, the, 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 the rhyme I found was criminology as part of arts, which I actually really liked, was, which was more around... I mean, we used to watch episodes of CSI in class and, stuff, and it was like studying <laughs> dun, dun. Yeah, why yeah. people commit crimes and how the psychology impacts certain people that are of a certain way and how that leads to crime and doesn't lead to crime and all of the sort of things around the reasons behind crime and, and then how to punish or try and deal with criminals in society. Like that was, a, that was an interesting spin on law, but it wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near as dry as law, I found. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And so what age are you at this point? You're 18? At uni, yeah, 18, 19, yeah. So, so did you take a gap year between high school and – I didn't, no. I, I, I'd thought long and hard about it and I don't know what the specific reason was. I got a scholarship at Melbourne Uni mm -hmm. and was just kind of, I guess, excited by – the pro I was definitely excited by the prospect of moving to Melbourne and changing it up and doing something different. And so, yeah, the gap year, it was like a fleeting thought. It didn't really cross my mind, but a lot of people I know did. Yeah. And I think I told myself maybe I'll do it at the end of uni. Right. But I didn't do that. The end of my eight-year law, law degree, <laughs> whatever exactly. it turned yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it turned out to be. You mentioned the lifestyle change. Mm. You obviously lived Ocean Grove, which is, what, hour and a half from, yeah. from yep. Melbourne? Yep, hour and a half. So you came up with living on campus? Yeah. Yeah, so I went to St Hilda's College. So the, the story goes, I, I was I went to an open day at Melbourne Uni with my mum and I was just in the, I don't know, like I guess you're a teenager, I was just in the worst mood. I didn't want to be there. Mum was doing a great, like such a great job I see in hindsight of trying to take me and be patient and be like, let's go to this class, like uni lecture and get a taste of what this might be like and let's go over here and check out the cafes and I was dragging my heels, 
didn't want to be there. Like, this is awful. I'm not coming here. I hate, I hate this whole idea. And then at some point in the after, at some point in the afternoon, we thought we'd go check out the mum dragged me to check out the colleges, the residential colleges on campus at Melbourne. And I remember it so clearly. You walk from the campus around past this athletics track, which is like this pristine athletics track. And then next to the athletics track is this beautiful footy oval with a white picket fence. And there was a game of footy on at the time, and which I'm sure was tactical. <laughs> and then you've got these like six or seven colleges surrounding this picket fence and they look like Hogwarts, like that's straight out of Hogwarts. And I was a, I still am, I was a Harry Potter fan <laughs> growing up reading all those books. And I was very interested all of a sudden in what this whole lifestyle might be like. And I just, I remember seeing the picket fence. I remember seeing the game of footy. And I remember just thinking to myself, I'm going to play footy on this oval. Like this is it. And so it became more of I want that as opposed to what I want to study, right. which is, you know, not necessarily always the best way to make these decisions. But that was how I made my decision at the time. And I went to a few of the colleges, did a few tours. One of the tour guides I did, one of the tours I did was at St Hilda's College with a tour guide who is Alex Dyson, who is Daiso from Triple M. Mm, okay. Tom and Alex and – or now Matt and Alex. And so for those that know him, he's just this hilarious, charismatic, very interesting guy. And so him and I hit it off on this tour. I was looking around this college campus and I was like, I think I'm going to try and come here. And so that was the decision point and that's what ended up happening. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's just almost like the serendipitous moment. Totally. Things caught your eye, yep. the Harry Potter, the football. Yeah. Mum, yes. just you know, almost yes. forcing you to come on, come I know. Pete, let's go. It's a bit. It's like a. I don't know. Not a. Not a easily replicable decision making heuristic. Like it was literally just serendipity. Like you said, I, I saw this wacky picket fence. I saw this game of footy. I was reminded of Hogwarts. I met this amazing, hilarious guy doing the tour, <laughs> and it all just kind of pieced together. I went from like being in the worst mood to just being so pumped to go to hopefully be able to go to that uni, and then it became like this obsession that I wanted to go to. Melbourne Uni, I ended up deciding I'd study arts because that would allow me to do subjects like law and to stay at this campus. I just like it became a real obsession. Yeah, right. Yeah. So then living away from home, was that yeah. the first time you'd you'd done that? Yeah. What was that like? Awesome. Yeah. It was, no, like, it was like living in a movie. It was it's, <laughs> it's so bizarre and hilarious in hindsight, that whole experience. But it, it is just like, for me at least, it felt just like the movies that you watch of Americans going to college. Like, yeah. A bunch like 200 people that are aged between 18 and 21, heaps of parties, heaps of people that don't know each other, getting to know each other in various ways. And uni pretty quickly became almost like an inconvenience. And it was the social aspect of going to college, <laughs> meeting new people, you know, having hilarious conversations and playing footy and like having a barbecue, like all of these social elements were for two years for me almost more important than the thing I studied. Yeah. Which I, I don't know, maybe was a release in a way because I studied so hard, studied my ass off in year 11 and 12 mm. and wasn't the most social human being as a result. And so I think I was probably maybe convincing myself I was making up for lost time okay. and just absolutely loved it. Yeah, it was epic. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a, like a key memory from that period, like – I don't know if you won a mad ruck contest and snapped a goal from the boundary <laughs> line on that on that ground. I know I know the exact ground you're talking about, but yeah. it is a very nice spot. Yeah, but yeah, is there anything that, that stands out when I ask that question? Yeah, I mean, we won. A, I won a premiership as part of St. St Hilda's College, so that there was like a college football comp, which which you know played for Uni Blacks, and that was a very good team at the time. And we played college football. College football became like a really 
big deal while we were there. And we were, I mean, I look back on it in terms of the people that were in our team, it was probably the, without question the best team I've been part of because we just had so many good players and all of the other colleges, well, a few of them had really good players too. So the 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 whole story and vibe and like community around college football in particular, I sound like such an American college football, <laughs> AFL, it was was huge and like you know everyone would come and watch and it was a, we played a night match and like it was you know on a Wednesday after a Wednesday night and and then you go out and have beers afterwards and so that the community element the fun the carefree nature the like you didn't have I think Facebook had like just started so there wasn't even like everyone's yeah, on right. their phone scrolling there was no like Instagram at the time it was just <laughs> it feels like it was this just this sweet spot of you and the 200 people that went to college and there's some downfalls of that. You know, I miss like family members' birthdays because I just completely forgot because you're in such a bubble. Like it's a real – I found it a real bubble but a good one. Yeah. So the sport for sure, the – you know, like we had three meals a day provided for us. So like going down to the to the dining room just and just, you just rock up and whoever's there you end up sitting at a table with and having a bunch of banter with. There's all this serendipity built into the experience. Yeah. And no one was distracted because like phones and iPhones, I think came out in 2007. So this was 2008, 2009. So it wasn't really a thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I think I made my Facebook account in 2009. Yeah. It was my, I was year 12, 2009. Yeah, mine was 2008 because it was the start of college and it used to be where people dumped all the photos from the night before. Like people yeah. would upload 80 photos. What a shocking idea. Tuesday, An album. I know. <laughs> Tuesday night at the pub and someone has 85 photos. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, I, I find it interesting you're like on the cusp of that and I have been as well. I think I'm a little bit younger than you. I'm mm. turning 30 in October. Yeah, I'm 32. Yeah, but I, I think it's almost like we were fortunate enough to experience a life where you mentioned before mum ringing the bell when it's right. time to come in for dinner. Yeah, I feel like people our age probably have a similar like a riff on whatever that looked like for them. But mm. we now have also grown up with – yeah, these computers in our pockets that connect us to right. ultimately anyone on the in the world. Yes, at any time. Yeah, which I think I'm blessed and to to be able to have both, like yes. the polarity of both. Agreed. And know that, you know, I, I checked my screen time. I was talking with a mate. Went around to his for dinner last night. I was like, mate, I had six hours on average of screen time a day last week. What the fuck <laughs> am I doing? <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, yeah, but, you know, you you do this for work. You, right. You're on calls or like I realize when I drive and I've got like – Google that, Maps or yeah, something. Yeah, open. That yeah. counts. Yeah. It all counts. Yeah. Uh, so it was almost like, yeah, who really cares right. when I can, like I mentioned earlier before we started recording, go for a bike ride at like 9.30 in the morning and right. design my life like that. Yes. I don't know. I mean, you've been kind enough to share all that you have so far, which has been great. But your life now yeah. and, and what you're what you're doing, I'd mm. love to dig a little bit deeper Definitely. into that. Yeah. If we could, could you maybe share, yeah, what it is you do on a more day to day basis, if you're able to uh, to summarize? Yeah, it differs each day. So I I am my own boss. I'm very lucky in that respect. I run a business called Human Periscope, and the services that we deliver are like executive coaching workshops and I do a bunch of speaking like I mentioned earlier yeah and as you mentioned I've got a podcast and a blog that wraps around that so because I have control over my schedule which was a really important thing for me I made the decision to step away from I was working in corporates and 
startups for many, many years. And I, one of the reasons why I went out on my own was I just love the idea of having control over my schedule. I hated being on someone else's clock. Absolutely mm. hated it. And so now that I have more control over my schedule on any given day, it might be like that I come into this co-working space to record a podcast with you. It might be that I stay at home and do a bunch of Zoom calls with clients. It might be that I stop working at two o'clock and go to the gym because that's what I want to do that day. It might be that I'm giving a keynote in Darwin, which happened a few months ago and I flew up to Darwin and did a keynote. So it varies quite a bit and I've, it's t- it, I feel like this is constantly something I'm working on, but I'm getting better and better at not jam-packing my schedule, at trying to have space and room for, I mean, things like this, right? Like if, if I was working full-time and you were working full-time and you had a podcast on the side, I'm guessing we'd be doing this on a weekend or yeah, 7, 7 p.m. Yeah, right? yeah, on a Tuesday PM. or something. Yeah. yeah, so I love that I can make this part of my day yeah. and have tried to frame it as, you know, not that this is work, but like it's all part of the same thing. You're practicing the same skills, whether you're recording a podcast with Rin or whether you're coaching an executive one-on-one or whether you're giving a keynote in front of 100 people. I think a lot of the skills that underpin all of those things are the same. Mm. At least that's the that's the convenient story I tell myself. <laughs> no, I love that. I love that story. It resonates in me. I mean, my mind's going in a hundred different directions <laughs> in this moment in time. And again, I'm just going to recommend everyone listen to your podcast because I've listened. I've learned so much over the years. Appreciate that. Yeah, and I don't know my <laughs> my summary of what the podcast is. Your podcast, long mm. and the short of it. And you might be like, that's completely wrong, but I'm just going to share. It's almost like you unpack an idea or a word, a definition. It's mm. funny, you had the episode 200 that came out last week and you were kind enough to read my question. Yeah. And yeah, I, I was like, what's the definition of meta? Like I've looked it up in the dictionary and, you know, being me, my nerdiness coming out yeah. in, in that moment. But it's almost like the things that you've unpacked over these 200 episodes have really enabled me to, in a, in a way, create the life that I'm living now, yeah. which I'm not just saying this because you're in front of me and you've mm. explained what your life looks like now, but I feel like being in control of one's own schedule schedule yeah. is so important. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, like if you work a nine to five and maybe you can't pick and choose those things, you still have a lot of blessings. I've worked plenty of nine to fives me and too. and six twenties to 10 twenties, you know, <laughs> yeah. futsal refereeing and random jobs here and there. Yeah. But I really would love to learn how you've gotten to where you are now because mm. from those college days and, yeah. you know, being in that sort of bubble of 200 people pre, yeah. you know, the tech world that we're living in now to yeah. 2022, yeah. I would love to string it together because I don't know. Yeah. If it has been, but I know for me in that period of time, like life is a roller coaster, oh, as Ronnie Keating would say, right? <laughs> love that song. But <laughs> I would really love to know, Pete, because by all accounts, from from what I observe, you know, the podcast is a mad success. I love reading your blog, you know, twice a week that comes out. I'm I'm fanboying again, but yeah, if you could maybe take me back, I know that mm. there was a job that you have mentioned a few times on the podcast that mm. yeah you worked maybe in tech and you were hating it yeah went against your values or something if you could share yeah. 
I'll uh, I'll start my, there. Yeah, let's start there, and feel free to ask any questions for me to delve deeper because it's a it's easy to it's easy to gloss over things. It's easy to, for me to paint a picture that was like, yeah, I did this and this and this, and it was all great. But you're right, like it was a mess. It was a roller coaster, of course. So basically, what happened is I I finished uni and completely missed the boat on applying for grad jobs. So you're meant to apply for grad jobs in your last year of uni in like March or April of your last year. Mm. And I wasn't forward thinking enough, too wrapped up in social elements of, you know, uni and college, even though I wasn't living at college at the time, we're all still connected, to have given that enough thought. And I think part of me wondered if I was going to, I was maybe giving myself an out to take some time off and do a gap year like we talked about earlier. So I'd missed the boat on all of this. I then travelled to finish uni in November, December, travelled to Vietnam, Laos and Cambodia for six weeks throughout January and February without a plan as to what I would do when I got back. And yeah, it's funny now but like I, I, went to, I went to travel around Southeast Asia, came back without a plan and then decided to start applying for grad jobs for the following year. So by all accounts, I think I'd, I don't remember thinking about this intentionally, but I guess I was trying to give myself permission to take that year off and I didn't is the <laughs> short version. Yeah. I, I was playing footy for a different club at this point, a club called North Old Boys. I think they're now called Brunswick with a bunch of friends. And, you know, the, the best thing I think about, well, there's just a, a lot of good things about playing for the clubs that are known as the amateur clubs in, a, in Victoria, the Victorian amateurs clubs they're they're not able to pay players and so instead they have these really great networks where they try and set you up with jobs and conversations with the right people so that you can progress your career yeah and i didn't know any of this at the time i just went and played footy with my friends and one of my mates encouraged me to send my resume he must have known i was struggling i can't remember the specifics he encouraged me to send my resume to this guy terry scanlon his name is who i still owe so much to because he took my resume without really knowing me, sent it to a bunch of companies and a bunch of friends and a bunch of his connections. The short version of the story is I got a call from Terry who said, you've got a, you know, there's, a, there's an interview for you next week at this particular company. It's called Wishlist Holdings. And if anyone asks your family friends with this lady, Louise, and I was like, right, okay, cool. No worries. <laughs> and so I showed up, I don't think I've ever shared this. I showed up to this interview for what essentially I pretty quickly realized was like a call center operator. Like they branded as like customer service representative, yeah. it was like answering phones at this, what I now realize was this tech startup called Wishlist Holdings, which kind of thrived during the dot-com era and then kind of blew up and they rebranded and pivoted to have a few different brands, one of them being Accumulate and the other one being V. Anyway, mm. it was a tech company before I knew what a tech company was. It was VC backed before I knew what VC backed even meant. Yeah. And so I showed up to this job interview, I winged it and told a bunch of stories. They really liked it. And I got the impression I was going to get the job. And so at the end of the interview, they they said, oh, so you want to probably go see your friend Louise, don't you? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I've never met this woman. <laughs> I don't even know what she looks like. She's and probably they, sitting in the room. Yes, yeah, <laughs> this is actually me. Stitch up. <laughs> And so they walk me over to Louise's desk. She's obviously been given the same heads up by Terry. And so we pretend like we've known each other for years and we have this hilarious conversation. Uh, I, I owe her so much. She played the part. And so I got this job working in a tech company in a call center. 
which I did in my head. I was going to do it for three to six months while I applied for these grad jobs for the following year. Yeah. So I applied for grad jobs at TAC, BHP, Rio Tinto, all these kind of companies that had programs for arts graduates because that was the other thing. I pretty quickly realized there's not that many opportunities for arts graduates. And eventually I got to the final interview of all three of those. I got offered a job at all three of those. And around the same time, the company Wishlist got bought by Qantas. So Qantas have a have a separate business called Qantas Loyalty that runs the frequent flyer program essentially mm-hmm. and all of the services that wrap around that. The pivot that Wishlist did during the dot-com boom, which I mentioned, to accumulate was to use the software of e-retail and create these kind of points-based recognition and incentive programs around that. Yep. So rather than outsourcing that service to a provider, Qantas just thought they'd buy it. So they bought us. So all of a sudden, my manager, I I owe a lot to her, Miriam Page, knew that I'd been offered these three different jobs, these grad jobs, and set up a meeting with me and the GM of this company at the time who pulled me into a meeting room and said, I know you've got a bunch of offers. Here's what's just happened. We got bought by Qantas. That means a bunch of opportunities about to come. I would love it if you would stick around and I'd put you in the role of account manager. We'd train you, we'd teach you, we'd fly you around. You get to work with all these interesting clients. And I nodded my head and I was like, yeah, that sounds really interesting. Let me think about it. And I went, I went back to my desk and I Googled what is an account manager? Because I, <laughs> I had absolutely no idea. I thought you were going to tell me what the, say what the wage was for a second. <laughs> no, you didn't even know what the role was. I had no idea. Phenomenal. I thought it was like accounting. I was like account manager. So you're yeah, managing right. accounts. Numbers. Like accounting. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, I could probably figure that out. Anyway, I Googled it. And what I discovered in Googling it was account management was more about relationship management and looking after existing clients and then seeking to grow them. And so I was like, oh, I could probably do that. So that began a seven-year journey working for now Qantas Loyalty under the umbrella of Accumulate yeah. in this tech company. And I'll pause there because I realize I'm talking a lot. Is that That's like painting the picture of where we're heading. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. And thank God for Google. Thank God for Google. And then like my first, <laughs> funny, my first ever call was to introduce myself to one of our clients Foxtel, and I called them to introduce myself. And they said, great to meet you, Pete. We just want to let you know we're actually going to cancel our contract because we're not, we're not happy with the service that's being provided. <laughs> and so I was off to a bit of a rocky start. It was, yeah. a rock, it was a rocky start. I had to Google what it meant. I had to have that first conversation with the client who, who told us they weren't renewing their contract. And I was a total imposter, just like full, a fish out of water, floundering, floundering, floundering. Yeah. But, and I was just through a combination of luck and I guess a little bit of skill, I managed to figure out what an account manager did. And, you know, I was lucky with the people I was surrounded by. I got put in a bunch of meeting rooms and boardrooms with GMs and executives of big ASX 200 companies that I had no right to be in the boardroom of. And I think I just I just learned so quickly by being exposed to so much yep. at such a young age. Yeah. You know, even to the point it was like I didn't know what a VC-backed startup was and then we quickly got acquired by Qantas. So you figure out just through osmosis what that experience is even like and not many startups get to go through that. So I got to experience all these things and talk to executives about how do we use software to drive behavioral change, which was sort of what we did as a company. And so it was all about culture. It was about leadership. It was about workplace change and incentives and all of the things that are so relevant to the work I do now. But I didn't realize at the time. I just kind of was, I was just a 22 year old, 21 year old imposter, just like figuring it out on the fly. Yeah. 
I've got a few questions, but I want to clear VC for anyone who doesn't know venture capitalists. Venture capitalists right? So people yes. putting money into yes. a company to help them grow faster. Right. Is that a good? Yeah, which is, you know, many startups consider that a, a nod to the fact that you're on the right track. If a VC is giving you money, then you must be doing something right is sort of the story that you could tell yourself. Not necessarily always true, but yeah. Sure, maybe you're just good at talking exactly. and getting, getting money. Exactly. So then you say that you felt like an imposter. Oh, yeah. In that. At any point in those seven years, mm. did that go away? Like surely at some point, like you're learning, you're in these rooms with these big wig sort yeah. of operators. Yeah. When did, did that go away? I, I don't think so. I think it, in certain elements it, it did. Like I, I, I know I'm sure you've heard me talk about before. I love talking about imposter syndrome and I, I think it's a good thing and I think it's always there when we're doing something new. So it's almost like a sign that we're stretching and growing. So once I got – the, the, the trajectory was kind of – I was graduate account manager for about three months. So I was working with lesser clients, but yep. getting exposed to the bigger ones. Then I so I was an imposter trying to figure that out. Once I got a handle on sort of smaller clients, I got put into account manager. And so I was, here's some bigger clients with some more responsibility. And so I was sort of feeling like an imposter in that. Yeah. And then at the age of like 23 or 24, I was senior account manager. And so all my peers are in their 40s. And so I was a total imposter because I was working with the biggest clients that we had and I was almost half the age of most of the other people in the company at that particular level of seniority. So I still felt like an imposter even though at times I had moments of like, oh, I think I know what I'm doing. But I would say most days I looked around and thought, how am I in this position? Who am I to be in this position? What do I do from here because I'm – colleagues with someone who is you know 20 years my senior yeah does that mean i'm going to be doing this job for 20 years and that that story is probably where the resentment started to come in or the f the fear of where to next what do i do next i was almost like i got addicted to this fast progress track fast track progress of like graduate to account manager to senior account manager it's like okay what's next and that was all in a pretty short period of time yeah so i think i became impatient i think i became entitled I think I became like I had one eye on the horizon and, and was looking for what, what, what are they going to do for me next? What's the next role they're going to offer me? Right. And once I got to senior account manager, the, I mean, the next step was really like you either go to a GM role or you go somewhere else was right. kind of the, the pathway I saw. And the GM was, that was not going to be an option. So that's where you mentioned like some of the resentment came into to the conversation. That was where that started. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like, yeah, you're almost like, yeah, what, I mean, the words you use, yeah, what can they, what are they going to do for me? Totally. What can they do for me? Yeah. Which. Unhealthy. Yeah. It's like, how can you serve? How can you do exactly. that? And I, obviously you realize that now and probably did to an extent maybe at the time, but you know, we probably have bigger egos at 25 than. 100%. I know I certainly did. And so funny. Yeah. In hindsight, it's really funny. Yeah. yeah. So then, yeah, I'm curious then, what was the tipping point? So you, if you stayed there for seven years, you yeah. would have been roughly late twenties yeah. by the time you left, yeah. and you've had the podcast now four years. Yeah. So yeah. you yeah. would have been what twenty eight yeah. when you started the podcast. Yeah. So I know that you have also been a coach on the Alt MBA, mm -hmm. which is a program held by Kimbo Seth Godin. Yeah. Um, I've never done it myself, but I started the podcast through the Podcasting Fellowship yeah. TPF two. Nice. It was at the time, so. That's, I think, what led me to finding your podcast. Someone had shared it on 
uh, Forward Link at the time, yeah, which was right. like this, yeah, yeah it was yeah. like a Discord platform yeah, yeah. for alumni of, of the courses. Uh, but yeah, phenomenal, phenomenal platform. But where does all of that tie in? Like, yeah. because I, I assume at some point in the seven years, yeah. like you're doing yeah. things that are building your skills, mm. whether they're soft skills, totally. hard skills, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, could you just talk to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the last two, I think it was the last two years, 18 months of the project. So basically I was, like I mentioned, I was in the senior account manager role. I was looking after a lot of big clients. I was getting entitled. I was wondering what's next. <laughs> and a project came along which was really cool on reflection and in the moment where there was an opportunity for us to rethink the entire business and potentially look at ways to enhance and improve our technology. So, we're, so we have this new project and what ended, what ended up happening was the managing director who was the GM who pulled me into that meeting room initially who I just – I still – really respect and, and and appreciate as a leader and I'm still in touch with him. And he carved out essentially a select group of people to work on a separate project in parallel to the business and our goal was basically, our, our task was basically complete, completely reimagine what this business could be, what the technology platform is we could use, how we could service our clients, start from scratch. And he picked, I think it was like 10 of us in various roles within the business, pulled us into a separate like part of the building, literally into a separate part of the building, and then we hired like 20 others. So I was in this really cool project team for about 12 months and our task was like reinvent the business. And my role was head of client engagement. Basically, I talked to all of the developers and the product manager and the tech people about what would be possible and then had to sell the dream to 50-something clients around Australia of all the big companies, all the banks, all the, you know, mining companies, sell them and take them on the journey of what we were doing. Yeah. And that was awesome. I, I actually, I absolutely love that. I got to travel around Australia for over a year, having really interesting conversations, creating amazing connections, telling really what I think was a pretty good story at the time. Yeah. And at some point I realized this project was going a little pear shaped and I felt like it wasn't being acknowledged by certain people within the project team. Anyway, so the, the resentment came back, the frustration came back. And so I started thinking like, what am I going to do next? Maybe I'll do an MBA. I don't want to do an MBA. Two years, $100,000, that sounds horrible. Yeah. I was following Seth Godin's blog at the time. Yep. I can't remember where that came into my life, but I was following it for some reason. And I think he just put out a post about the alt MBA. And I looked at it and I saw one month, $3,000 versus – two years, $100,000. I was like, what could possibly go wrong? Like, that sounds like something I'd, I'd want to do. And then I read the website and I had the experience of like, I'm never going to get accepted. I'm an imposter. Like there's no way I would fit into a program like that. You know, 100 leaders around the world all come together for four weeks to sprint and complete 12 projects. And it just sounded really cool and I was convinced I wasn't going to get it, but I threw my hat in the ring. Short version of the story is I got accepted. Then I had to have the conversation with my manager about like I want to – because at the time there was no Australian time zone – so I was going to be doing Pacific time, so West Coast of America time zone. So it was all through the night basically in yeah. Australia. Just quickly, is this like 2017? I just love a timeline. Yes. I'm just trying to piece this together. Yes. Yeah. It must have been 2017, yeah. So this is like January 2017. Okay. I get accepted and the next cohort I think was March and I, I, I tried to convince 
my manager at the time to let me take some time off to or like a couple of days off to to be able to do this workshop. Yeah. I was met with quite a bit of resistance. Don't necessarily need to go into the to the detail, but <laughs> in the end I I didn't do it in March, much to my frustration. And we were trying to work out an agreement and an arrangement for me to then take the next iteration of the workshop, which I think was going to be in May, mm-hmm. May 2017. And so I basically got so frustrated and fed up by the whole thing that I said, I'm going to take four weeks annual leave. And I had four weeks like annual leave at the time, or maybe three weeks and some one week unpaid. And I'm not going to work at all. I'm just going to go and do this workshop. And that's what I did. I went down to Ocean Grove where I grew up. Mum and dad were away, had the house to myself and dedicated an entire month to immersing myself in the old MBA. And that was like a, a fascinating pivot point for my entire life. Like I could trace almost everything in my life now back to the moment of doing the old MBA. And yeah, it was just this incredible transformative experience that created all sorts of aha moments for me. I met a bunch of amazing people that I'm still in contact with today. I just learned a lot, including the fact that I was not in a healthy state of mind about being resentful and expecting other people to create opportunities for me when in fact leadership is a choice and if that's the path that I want to choose to to create something new or find a different opportunity, then that's on me to find and create and put forward and put into the world. So I had a bunch of aha moments. I'm sure we can get into them. But ultimately that experience then kind of trampolined me into eventually leaving the company, eventually starting my own business, eventually meeting Jen and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, what happened? So when I took Alt MBA, I learned a bunch. I had five weeks off work. And when I came back to see what the state of the project was that I was working on that team, I realized it was, again, heading south. It was about to, it was about to basically end that project. Yeah. And I decided 80% in my head that I was going to leave and then became like the untangling of what that looks like, where you go. So I applied for and I interviewed at big tech companies that I really like the sound of. I interviewed at Google. I interviewed at Slack, Airbnb, Tesla. Trying to think if I missed any others. These all have maybe. offices here in Melbourne. Like yeah. you were still yeah. planning to. Basically, I looked at all those big companies, the the cool tech companies. I thought at the time, yeah. who has a Melbourne office? I'm going to apply for a job for all of them. Yeah. I got into interviews with all of them, and in all of the in all all cases, Uber was the other one. I got to a point where I realized this is just like a hard sales role. Like this is just you are selling, and selling, and selling, and and it felt like a bit of a backward step because I'd been exposed to so much growth in such a short period of time at Accumulate slash Qantas, I felt like I was kind of going back to graduate account management, which is selling and building a list of clients. Yeah, That was kind of what they were asking of me. So I decided not to do, not to proceed with any of them. And instead, randomly, I wrote a part of the, one of the things that came out of me taking the Alt MBA was I started my blog. Yeah, I wrote a blog about my experience with Alt MBA I posted it on Twitter because at the time I used to use Twitter. I have an account now. I don't use it. And this guy, Riley Batchelor, reached out to me on Twitter and said, I'm starting a new company. I brought General Assembly to Australia and I'm, I'm starting a new company in the ed tech space, education technology. And I'm really interested in having a conversation about whether you could help me through Twitter. So random. 
So I had a call with this guy. We went out for a beer. He talked to me about his ideas, which I think were really good. Still to this day, I think they're solid. I think Masterclass kind of executed it better than we could at the time. It was basically, can you create courses with the leading experts in their field and make them available to a bunch of people? Yeah. And leveraging the learnings I had from Alt-MBA, making it cohort-based, making it online, making it interactive was kind of the idea he had. So he brought me in to do a contract, which I did in parallel with working at Accumulate Still. So I hadn't quite jumped ship yet. I worked like 15 hours a week for him. Then I got asked to coach Alt-MBA, which was 15 hours a week, I think was what we were meant to do. I definitely did more than that. Did they have an Aussie time slot at this point? No, still no Aussie time slot. So I'm working in US time for the Alt-MBA. I'm working in my own time for this new startup and I'm still working a full-time job at Accumulate. And that went for about six months. Maybe less, maybe like four or five months. And then You've still got a full head of hair. Yeah. Phenomenal. Sorry. I don't know. And then the startup got to the point where I got offered a full time job and I decided to take that. And that was my that was my jumping off point from leaving Accumulate. So I I ha I think I halved my salary overnight. I completely stripped all of my expenses out of my life. I moved moved into my I moved in with my cousin to a house that his mum owned, so my auntie owned, so the rent was a little cheaper. I did all these things to try and reduce my costs. Yeah. Classic kind of startup story to be the first employee at this startup with this guy. And we went about trying to create this company, which lasted about three months. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in parallel to that, like I said, I was coaching Alt MBA. In my second session of doing that, I met Jen Walburn who is now my co-host in the long, the short of it. So sorry, when you were coaching, you met Jen? Yes. So I was, was, she a, a I was student? A, yeah, I was oh. Jen's coach. Wow. So I coached the, must have been the New York. No, I coached the Pacific time zone and Jen based in New York made a mistake and signed up for the Pacific time zone thinking she'd get an extra three hours because of the time difference, but I think she lost three hours because <laughs> of the time difference. So complete serendipity. I met this woman by the name of Jen Waldman. We hit it off and and got to know each other through her being a student, me being a coach in the Alt-MBA. At the end of that workshop, the story goes that she asked me, we'd had a few one-on-one coaching sessions, and she asked me if I would be interested in being a coach. I think she said, like, I, I need you in my life. Would you be my coach moving forward? And I said, oh, yeah, send me an email and we'll figure something out. And so Jen sent me an email and I became the coach of Jen Waldman and was working in this startup for about three months. And then like a few things happened. One is Jen and I were getting on really well. I made a very intentional decision not to charge her a cent because I was getting my head around what it might be like to be a coach Mm -hmm. because I'd never really called myself that before and I was intrigued by that. And you were never doing one-on-one coaching before this? It was just purely through the Alt-MBA? Alt-MBA, yeah. And what I recognized in coaching Alt-MBA and working with Jen was all of the skills that I developed as a graduate account manager, account manager, senior account manager, it was basically coaching, right? Like you're asking questions of a client to get clear on what their problem is and then trying to develop a solution to solve their problem, yeah. help them solve their own problem, which is a pretty similar skill set to, to really good coaching. You're asking a bunch of questions, recognizing that the answer is probably in the head of the person you're sitting across from and trying to help them get that out of their head and then hold them accountable to that. So had all of these like, again, just growth moments and opportunities in my head of like learning and learning and learning and learning. And eventually 
I guess two things happen in parallel. One is Jen said, I think you should be coaching more than just me. I think you should be charging. And I think that I'd like to introduce you to like 10 people, which she did very generously. Then at the same time, the, the conversation with the, the startup founder was, I'd like to bring you on as a co-founder because I think this is going really well. We built the first ever blockchain education course in Australia. We got featured in the Australian, like things were going pretty well. And, and he said, but one of those conditions, because you'll be an equity holding co-founder is you can't work with the old MBA. Mm. And so it was one of those, I guess, inflection points on reflection, which was like whichever way I went was going to set me on a particular path. Yeah. Alt MBA was not full-time work. It was a contract for a month at a time, which I had no guarantee of doing ever again. And for some reason, I just, I just knew it wasn't even a decision. I knew I just had to have a hard conversation with the co-founder to say, I'm going to go do Alt MBA instead of taking this equity-based co-founder role. Yeah, and right. so that's what happened. So it didn't, Fall on its ass after three months. You walked away I walked at that away. point. Yeah, I walked right, away. I actually, in. I actually think we had a pretty good level of momentum. Like I said, we built the first ever course designed to. I think it was like blockchain one hundred and one. It was the first ever education based course to teach laymen what a blockchain is. Yeah, and what that technology might mean. We'd partnered with some really interesting people, and had the support of like Blockchain Australia, and. It was all teed up to go ahead and then I had to have that conversation with the co-founder which was I think I actually think I want to – I think I could learn more in my head. I was like I think I need to stick around the old MBA which was just – I don't know. It was a few things. I, the culture that I worked within and that team within old MBA was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. Yeah. We are working all around the world pre-pandemic. So like Zoom was a new thing. Slack was a new thing. You work whenever you want. And however you want, there was, you know, having studied and worked with organizations to teach what best practice workplace culture looks like, I knew it theoretically. I'd never seen it in action. Mm. And this was like in action. I was like, this is it. This is work. This is the best workplace culture. This is the best form of leadership I've ever seen where it is service-based, it is flexible, it is empowering, and it is all about connection. And so... I guess I guess a bit like deciding to go to a university because you're interested in something else. I made the decision to stay with a completely unreliable and unpredictable lifestyle slash workplace being alt MBA rather than maybe the logical in air quotes decision of taking equity at a potentially potentially successful startup. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. That's all right. Fun to relive it. Yeah, I bet. So that role, ultimately he was asking you to become a Mm co-founder. What was the role going to look like? Was that clear in your mind? Because then you obviously had the other role or life that you decided to go into, which was the old MBA, which you'd already lived. Yeah. Is that you'd already done one coaching session and not been a student at at the time? Yeah, I'd done two sessions of coaching old MBA. I was coaching Jen on the side. So I had a bit of a taste as to what that looked like. Yeah. And I'd been a contractor for the startup for about three months at this point, full time. So I had some exposure to what it would look like in terms of working there, that role. And it was it was kind of the 
in many ways the opposite of how the alt MBA had worked in that it was like long hours. Mm-hmm. It was like sitting in front of your computer from eight till eight at a co-working space and having to be on the phone all the time because the co-founder was based in Sydney. And so it, it was it was hard work, man. It was like it was, you know, you hear many, many stories from startups. It's like you got to grind and you got to sleep at your desk and blah, 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 blah. It was all of those things. And alt MBA wasn't. Alt MBA was like, Commit yourself and get the work done, but do it when it suits you. And also here's a bunch of really awesome and supportive people and resources and we're going to help you. And we don't want you to hustle and grind. We want you to serve and connect. Mm. And it just it was because of that stark contrast, for me, based on my personality, it was such an easy decision. Yeah. And I'm sure there's plenty of, you know, people out there that would have said, you're crazy, you should have taken the equity-based job and hustled and then made – Potentially a bunch of money, but also potentially not. So, right. Yeah. It's almost like you're deciding to walk away from what you have as your values and your integrity. It's like yes. you were exposed and you lived yes. in the old MBA in that world where you were able to work in times that suited you with people who built you up. Not yep. to say that this guy was a bad person no. in the startup. Not at all. But you, you got to experience that and it's almost like when you get a taste of that, yeah, you want more. Totally. But I totally resonate because I've worked, funnily enough, in a, in a role for seven years. Um, still have a lot of love for that experience. But mm. yeah, from the age of 17 to 24 and the culture isn't toxic mm. but it's not something that I loved. Yes. And I've been fortunate enough to do the podcasting fellowship and the marketing seminar mm-hmm. and the creative – Oh, what was it? Yeah. Oh, no. Story Skills Workshop, mm-hmm. which was by a, headed up by a brilliant author, Bernadette Jiwa, yeah. who's I think based in Melbourne. She's in Melbourne, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, just living in those courses online, even though I haven't really met too many people from them, mm. I completely resonate with this is what the culture of working yeah. should be. Yes. And it's not to say that you don't want to work hard. Right. Right, I'm sure you work very hard at oh, what yeah. you do and, yeah. and dedicate a lot of time and a lot of like here we are. You've, met, you've invited me here. Like I'm not paying you to sit down and pick your brain for two hours. At least I think I'm not. <laughs> Might get an invoice, <laughs> That's an invoice later. <laughs> but it's like you get to pick and choose the time now and. I'm sure there might be times where you're working late at night mm-hmm. and and doing these various things. Like I was doing an email for a client at 10:30 last night. Right. Uh, these things happen, but yep. it's the idea that you get to pick and choose and choose. create that. Yeah. And I just think it's incredibly valuable, and I would love for more people to to have that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that I, I mean, I I've been a bit like being a closet nerd. I've been a closet personal development junkie since I was 22 or something and I've listened to at this point it must be like tens of thousands of podcasts. I've read, I don't know, four hundreds of books. I think I read I've probably averaged 30 or 40 books a year for the last 10 years and I think, I mean, the learnings from doing that are many and varied. One of the things that I always stuck with me is so many people who have some version of achieved the the vision of success in terms of money, financials, end up saying something like, with all of that money, all you end up really wanting is the permission and the time to now do what you want. And that's what having money does for some people. They, they think they have to get a certain amount of money so that they then have permission to give themselves time 
back in their lives. It's like you work really hard at that startup and then you sell it and you get millions. Now you have control over your time. And I guess unintentionally I absorbed that to the point of if that's the end goal, having control over your schedule, what if I just did that up front? With huge financial risk, like I had absolutely no guarantee of any money coming in, which caused a bunch of anxiety and stress and you know, I didn't earn anything for like three months. It was terrifying. But I don't know, for some reason I was naive enough, stupid enough. Brave enough. Trusting maybe. enough, brave enough, yeah, to to recognize that if the end goal for a lot of people is time and control over their schedule, why do the 30 years of grind or 20 years or 10 years of grinding in order to then get there? What if I just put that up front? Yeah. And I think part of it was probably just an accident in right place, right time as well. <laughs> just put it all off to an accident. Yeah. Good luck. No, I, to me, it sounds like you, at a very early age, lived a life that many people probably only get when they're hmm. maybe starting mid-30s, early 30s, into yeah. their 40s. Like you were saying, a lot of the guys in the same room, guys yeah. and girls, were, yeah, maybe around that age. Yeah. So you got to experience that corporate life totally. quite young. Yeah. And then Alt MBA, exposed to more brilliant minds, were able to to see that, hey, it can be whatever I make it. Right. Which is a brilliant opportunity. Yeah. Because I really think that like when you when you realize that if you can just take responsibility for these certain things, mm. you can actually create whatever it is you want in your life. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I think that 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 switch that flicked from being entitled and expecting someone to create an opportunity for me to realizing you can create opportunities yourself by doing certain things, it was a really like profound switch for me. And, and I think you're right in that not just, not just was I exposed to various things at a young age, which I think were just, again, I think, you know, there was so much luck involved, like being introduced to that family friend who wasn't a family friend who I'd never knew who got me into that room to have that conversation to, you know, all of those things, there's so much luck involved. And even back to, you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking and reading and talking with a psychologist recently about the ways that we're shaped from our childhood and the experiences we have as kids that then shape what we value. I mean, I was so lucky to see my dad and my mum designed a life that they wanted based on living on the coast because my dad Grew up, they both grew up in Melbourne and mum got a job down in Geelong. Dad really wanted to live at the coast. And so they made a decision based on lifestyle to live in Ocean Grove, for mum to not work, for dad to work locally so he could be home for dinner. All of that was super intentional and I think undoubtedly rubbed off on me. Having experienced that, having been exposed to that, you know, if you had two parents that were investment bankers that worked their ass off, I'm sure you're more likely to go in that direction. And that's that's great if that's what you want and that's what you're exposed to and that's what gets you up out of bed every morning, like all the power to you. I guess I was exposed to more of a lifestyle. And so completely unconsciously, that became a guiding force for me making these decisions. Yeah. Which is kind of wild to think about how we're like programmed from when we're kids. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's almost why I like to start there, but it's, yeah, so much of what you've just said, I don't know, resonates with me on a level of like, take the lifestyle design, for example, mm. and being intentional with that. Mm. 
I think, I mean, you mentioned before going into uni and wanting the lifestyle of yeah. what it was yeah. and like reverse engineering life and what sort of what it looks like for you in the last four years and going, I don't need to go down this path of, of working in a startup to chase the money to then retire. Right. I'm going to butcher this story, but I've heard it said somewhere and it's the idea of like there's a fisherman and he's oh, really good at yeah. – Yeah. Really good. I'm definitely going to butcher it now that you know It's a good it. parable. I love it. Yeah. yeah. But it's like there's a fisherman who's brewing at catching fish and then the the businessman from the big city comes and sees that he's great at catching fish and so goes – come with me, like we'll, we'll sell these fish, you know, at this, you know, in the city or whatever it is and we'll make lots of money and then uh, I'm already going to butcher it. I can't, I can't even think how it goes. Maybe you better, you better say it, but it's the idea. Yeah. Well, no, the, the bit that I remember is that, <laughs> so yeah, the investment banker comes to the local fisherman and I think they're in Mexico, he's on a holiday and he says to local fishermen, you know, how many fish do you catch? I catch this many. And what else do you do with your time? Like you stop working at 11 a.m., you go out in the morning and you finish and he goes, oh, I play some guitar, I spend some time with my family and I eat food. Anyway, and then the investment banker goes, well, you could get, we could sell it at this particular city, you could make tens of thousands more dollars, you could buy a whole other sh fleet of ships and you could send them out and you could catch more and more fish and sell them and make millions and millions and millions. And then after, you know, 10 years, 20 years, if you do it right, you could then send, sell that company to an investment banker like me. And then the fisherman says something like, and then what would I do? And then and the investment bank goes, oh, you'd retire. And he said, oh, and so I would, you know, spend time with my family, I would play guitar and I would eat delicious food, which is what he was already doing. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I think I've butchered it too. But no, it's you've, just, you've definitely said it way better than I was going to do. Just this idea that we, <laughs> we, we tell ourselves stories and, yeah, sometimes it's, yeah, I don't know, worth thinking about can you, can you get the end result up front? What would that look like? Yeah. Well, that was really the idea that I think I got from the first episode of The Long and the Short of It, mm. which was the idea of, yeah, I think the title is Getting Started. Yeah. And that reverse engineering of what do you want your life to look like? Mm. And one podcast episode that I love more than probably any in the world is Tim Ferriss interviewing Debbie Millman. Yes. 214. So yes. Yeah. So good. And I remember exactly where I was when I first listened to that in, in 2017. Yes. Did you do the exercise of writing it down? Not at the time. Yeah. I wasn't in a, for me, a good place mentally, yeah. I felt. So yeah. I didn't want to write something down that yeah. would then come true. Yes, I did the same thing. Yeah, that would yeah. be a bit shit. I was too scared. Yeah. 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 So I did it. I did it. I wrote it down on Australia Day, like 26th of Jan, the next year, 2018. Yeah, wow. So four and a half years in maybe now. But um, just that idea of like – you know, creating a life where you are totally able to have everything that you want in a way that, you know, you don't, yeah, you, you got to work hard and maybe that you go through some pain and, and things like this, but you don't have to go on a 30 year path to then give it all up. Like you can have it now. Yeah. Really. Yeah. If you want to think the power of the mind in that way to like manifest things. And I've been sort of reading and delving more into that of late. Nice which for me is very meta. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, that episode, I feel like we could talk about heaps. When did you first listen to that? I, that I mean, I was I was listening to every single episode of the Tim Ferriss show as it came out. So I would have listened to it when it came out. Yeah. And Debbie Millman des def describes this exercise that she does with her, with her classes. I forget at which university. She's a teacher at one of the universities. And it's basically 10 years from now, right 
write on a on a page or, or ten pages, however long it takes you, as if you've just woken up in ten years from now. So you pick the date, ten years from now. So it's twenty thirty two. You wake up. Where are you? Who are you waking up next to? What does your house look like? And she talks about going into as much detail as possible and just describe that entire day. And she's she sort of there's a line that's like. Right as if your life depends on it because it does. Because it does. And I just – I remember I remember exactly where I was as well when I heard that. And I also remember being too scared to do it because I didn't want to manifest the wrong thing, whatever that means. And so it took me a while to get my head around it to do it properly. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a profound exercise and a profound experience. Actually, a, a similar – I did a similar thing as part of one of my projects in Alt-MBA – so the final project in the Alt MBA, you, I don't want to give away too much, but you you record a video, and I did my video as Pete in two years' time talking to Pete who just finished the Alt MBA, and I described it was kind of like Debbie Moon's exercise. I described the life that I was living in two years' time, and I watched it three months. Uh, it must have been six months later. And in six months, I'd created the life that I described in two years. It was wild, wow. absolutely bonkers. And so I've since recorded two other videos. Like each, I think each couple of years I've done it. Must be each year I've done it. Probably skipped one during the pandemic. But <laughs> I've, I've, I've done it three times now. And it's a bit like the writing exercise. It's kind of crazy how powerful it is. You just put out this, you know, bold version of what your life looks like. And for some reason, I guess you subconsciously embody that somehow and you look for opportunities that represent that and you can you can get pretty close in my experience. Yeah, I love that. Thank mm. you. Thank you for sharing that. That's right. The idea that, yeah, you can, you can make a decision of what you want your life to look like mm. and then opportunities start showing up. I yeah. feel like the saying, everything happens for a reason. I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. I feel like humans very much look for reasons as to why things exist. Yeah, confirmation bias. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah, you know, there's obviously been a lot of, and still is, a lot of shit going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, we're sitting here in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, very, very privileged, totally. and I, I acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, to be able to record with you today, to be able to have a cup of tea as yeah. we do it, like all of these things. But to not use this opportunity ultimately that I feel like I've got and maybe that, you feel the same that you have. It's like we have these opportunities to help others and to help. I'm not going to be wanky enough to say enlightened because I don't think I'm like some form of God or anything like that. But it's yeah. almost like you're opening doors, you're turning on lights, you're you're doing these things that, yeah, just help shift a perspective totally. slightly. Yeah. One thing that I think, and it's interesting you mentioned not wanting to write it down at the same time or record mm. the video. Yeah. At what point do you take that up and like what's the hard part of like maybe you're not in a good spot maybe yeah. you've gone through a breakup or you've left a job or you're having health issues or something yeah. like that where you don't feel like you're at a point in your life where you want to yeah. manifest things yeah do you see i don't know what the question is there but yeah. i'm just sort of trying to paint that picture yeah i think the hard part to answer your question is defining what you want I think that is so easy to say and so impossibly hard to do is to is to get clear on what you want. My experience, which I can talk to, is the reason that was so hard is because there were things in my life that I knew I didn't want that I was living with every day. 
that was a job and a relationship for me at the time. And so to write out what my future would look like would be to write that those two things aren't there. Yeah, well. And that was so confronting because I was too scared to do anything about both of those things. I was too, too scared to end the relationship and I was too scared to end the job at that time. And so that for me was the fear, was the recognition that I'm not living the life now that I want to live is I think could be really confronting for people. Yeah. It could be quite jarring. And then to to actually put that down is even like the next step of like wishing that into existence is, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it can really rock your identity, I think is probably why it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that is in terms of like a relationship and a job? Mm. For me, it's almost like they're part of your identity. Yeah. Right. Like the job in, in a lot of ways and sure a relationship too. Yeah. You can, you know, a lot of people can know you through your partner. Uh-huh. You know, you can obviously be in a lot of good relationships fulfilled by, yeah. by partners, all of, all of those sorts and things growing and building a life. That, that hard part mm. of the, the relationship, the job, making up your identity, mm. you know, is it external pressure from, in air quotes, society? Mm. Where do you think that comes from? Yeah. I think, I guess it's different for everyone. For me, it, it, it comes from, I could probably make an argument that it comes from this idea that I mentioned earlier that I always wanted to get the A. At school, I was really good at striving to be the one that got the A or the A plus. And, and I mentioned before I was a personal development junkie. I think that this idea of doing the right thing in air quotes, getting the A, whatever that looks like for you, really has been a positive and a negative for me. And I think that's that's where it's f- the example we're talking about around being too scared to admit that you're not going to get an A in this relationship because you think that you need to end it or you're not going to get an A in this job because you think you need to end it. Like to me that was – it's almost like – it's almost like that was a failure, like that was an F as opposed to an A. And so I avoided it because I was too scared of what that might mean for my identity to be someone who doesn't succeed in air quotes again, whatever that means for both a relationship and for, for a job. I think that's for me what it comes down to and, and, and fear, of course. I think all of these things come back to fear. What are you afraid of? In that moment, maybe what other people think of you, but probably for me it was more around I'm afraid of what might be come of my identity if I'm not someone who's always getting an A. Yeah, right. Yeah. At least I think. Interesting. Yeah. So then how did you manage to handle the situation of the relationship and the job that you didn't want to be in? Yeah. And did you write the your your 10-year plan for an extraordinary life prior or after? After both. After yeah. both. Wow. I think my hand was probably – forced my hand was forced with the relationship so i didn't necessarily get to a point where i was able to be the instigator of that okay which is a massive learning i wouldn't say a regret but an interest it was an entirely interesting experience on its own yeah. is like when you know for a while but you're too scared to do anything about it and then your hand is forced because the other person ends the relationship yeah and so that whole spiral that happens after that was a whole interesting thing. The job was, I guess I had another branch to grab onto, which was this startup opportunity. I didn't, I didn't leave the job at Accumulate with nothing to go to, 
which I guess made it a bit easier. Yeah. Having said that, it was it was really hard. It was it was really, really difficult. And I think I've probably compartmentalized how difficult it was at the time. Uh, yeah, I think I think it was really hard. And then, and then having done that, a few years later, the relationship. I think it was a couple of years later, the relationship that we're talking about ended. And then I think I felt I finally felt comfortable embarking on that exercise. Wow. Yeah. So there's a few years a few between years. the two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. A few years. Yeah. And I've since I've done it a few times since. I think twice more since when I when I met my now wife Tracy. In our early days of of dating, we she actually listened to the episode as well, and we both thought like, wouldn't it be cool if we both wrote one separately and then like compared notes? Oh wow! Which is what we did, which was quite profound and really cool and a little bit scary, <laughs> and a, a pretty good way to figure out if it's the right person for you, <laughs> which is certainly what I found. I'm guessing you didn't write this on the honeymoon. <laughs> no, 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 this was pretty early days. So wow. yeah, I've done it a few times since. It's a yeah, it's a profound experience. I still think the hardest part for me is getting really clear on what it is you want. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you do that, do you think? What are some what are some skills Pete Shepherd would recommend? Practice. I, I mean, I literally spoke to my psychologist about this like two months ago yeah. where I was sharing with her some struggle I was having around, you know, I'm someone who, like I mentioned, I'm recovering people, recovering people pleaser. I like to keep the peace. And sometimes that comes at the expense of not getting what I want or not doing what I want. And so she just asked the question of like, so what do you want? And I said, I have so much trouble with that question and I don't know why. And then I beat myself up because I'm not good at answering the question and I'm good at getting an A and I don't know how to get an A at this question. And she said like quite simply at the time, which was relatively profound for me, is like, have you had much practice at answering that question? And I was like, no, basically none because I am always very good at keeping the peace. And so often my answer growing up would be, what does Pete want? Pete wants everyone to be happy. Mm. And so that might not necessarily be what I want. That might just be the fact that I just am going to that default characteristic of, of my personality. Yeah. So for me, it's practice. I sometimes recently when I, I do a little bit of journaling or writing or I'm struggling with a decision, I just write, what do I want? And I just like force myself to just try and think about it. And the recognition that answering that question is a skill has been quite a profound one for me. It's a skill that we need to practice, getting really clear on what is it that I want in this moment or what is it that I want in this career or what is it that I want in this relationship or this podcast or this job opportunity, whatever it is. It's, I, for me, it's just been a, a question and a practice worth doing, like a skill. Yeah. Yeah, like going to the gym and doing a bicep curl. You know, you just got to keep doing it to get better at it. So... For me, it's like getting better at asking and answering that question. Yeah. What do you want? So then in terms of the skill, the practicality of it, what does that look like? You, you mentioned literally getting out a pen, writing yeah. down what it is you want. Are you writing one thing, ten things? You're just writing until just writing. it stops? Yeah. Some days I write ten things. Sometimes I write one thing. Sometimes I write I have no idea. It's just like giving yourself permission to sit with that question, I would say. Yeah. You, could, you could literally sit with it and meditate on it and not write. You could talk and walk like my my friend Jen does. She likes to record herself talking and walking. <laughs> or you could, for me, I like to write. Yeah. Yeah. Just journaling. And so is this a recent thing that you've been doing or is yeah. this, did this come about? Okay. This recent. is like last six months. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that. So then how in, in the years between hearing about Mr. Ferris and Debbie Millman yeah. chatting about this idea, I, I just want to, f- yeah, figure out. And then I guess the two years – or so to when you were able to write it down. 
Mm. Was it was it two years between? The yeah, two? roughly. Yeah. Could you talk to me about that period and I guess how you got to the point where you felt you were ready to write write down your your ten year plan for an extraordinary life? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the so the 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 like I mentioned, the job ended because I had another branch to go to. So yeah. that part of my life was easy enough for me to project forward. I came up with this idea that I want to do meaningful work with interesting people, mm. which is something I still think about a lot. It's like, what does that mean to you at any given moment? I think is for me, that's my version of what success looks like for my work. Meaningful work with interesting people. Once I got really clear on that, I wasn't afraid to, which is where the, the video came up in the old MBA. I wasn't as afraid to project forward. What does that look like? So I had the, I guess I had the, I guess I almost had like a split personality, not a split personality. I had like, if I divide my life into like personal and then work, I had the work part pretty clear in my head, meaningful work with interesting people. And the personal part I was, you know, like unwilling to do something about the fact that I was in this relationship that I didn't necessarily see a future in. Yeah. And and that was that was what held me back from doing that. So I on reflection, and of course I don't you don't know this in the moment. It, relationships are really hard and complex and messy and 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 yeah all of those things yeah. i i was so focused on the the work side i would work so hard on my own business and my coaching practice and my speaking practice and helping the old mba and putting myself in as many situations as possible to meet people like seth godin and work with people like jen waldman and the podcast and i was working like epic hours especially in those early days of starting my own business that I, I sort of hid from some of that personal stuff, that hard stuff that I, I just didn't want to address mm. until, like I mentioned, it got to this like tipping point where a bunch of stuff happened, but ultimately the relationship ended. And I then went through this like moment of getting annoyed at myself for knowing that that was coming, but being too afraid to admit it for what was essentially a couple of years. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So I think I, I kind of, I guess all of that to say, I probably hid in the work and that was really easy to do when you're starting your own business because- there's always something to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like there's always something to do, even if you don't have your own business. Right. There's always something to put off. Totally. My first relationship was four years yeah. with a girl. And yeah, I realized a couple of months prior to and ending it with her yeah. that I didn't want to I didn't I didn't want to marry her ultimately. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't see see a future there. And Timing-wise, I ended up breaking up with her three days before her birthday. Yeah, wow. Which, like, there's never a good time to break up never. with someone. Arguably, that's maybe one of the worst times you could. Yeah. Obviously, I could have broken up on her birthday, <laughs> which would have been really sad for her. She's now married with a child and, yeah. you know, all the best yeah. and, and very happy by all accounts. But it's like there's never an easy time to make these hard yeah. decisions that you've got to confront in your so life. Yeah. Otherwise, ultimately things could go wrong and then you won't have the opportunity to shape your life. Like who knows if yeah. you didn't or if, you know, that partner didn't break up with you, maybe you would have ended up having a kid together uh -huh. and then who knows what happens, Yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's it's actually, it's kind of scary to think about in a way because it, the relationship is the, is the example we're using at this point, but a job or any given decision could be the same thing. It's like, what's the thing you're avoiding? Yeah. Because I knew I was avoiding. Like, if you had to ask me that question, in fact, I, I used to ask myself that question. Sometimes I journal about the fact that I know this is a thing I'm avoiding. That question of what am I avoiding right now is, is I think, really important and quite powerful because it could just be 
oh, I'm avoiding doing the dishes. Like it could be really small because we all do stuff like that. Or it could be something like, oh, I'm avoiding quitting this job or I'm avoiding ending this relationship or whatever it is. We're really good at avoiding discomfort, human beings. And I think that getting comfortable with and practicing discomfort more can only be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I think whenever, especially in the last maybe six months, whenever I've avoided doing a project, Mm. that's when the anxiety builds yes. like phenomenally yes. to the point where I think my life is in ruins. <laughs> like yeah. what am I doing? Yeah. I'm out of control. Existential crisis. Yeah, like I'm one year in my own business now. I've had this podcast for about three years, but it's like by all accounts I feel like I'm doing well. Mm. But then, yeah, when you let these things accumulate, when yeah. you don't confront and handle and take responsibility for it, that's – that's what happens. Yeah. I always like the idea of, I think it came from a Tim Ferriss interview with, uh, oh, I can't remember his name, Jersey is his first name. He's a Polish powerlifter. Anyway, wow. he, he, he said to Tim like, easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. Yeah. And I, my interpretation of that is like what we talked about is if you can continually make the hard choice and do the hard thing and get clear on what the uncomfortable thing is and then address it, life will become easier for you because you'll be living with less of that anxiety the taking the easy choice which is avoiding that you know the dishes or avoiding the hard conversation at work or avoiding the hard conversation with a partner then you have that at the dread and the anxiety and that just builds and builds and builds and at some point it comes out in some way and so that creates a hard life so I, yeah I, I i really like that heuristic like easy choices hard life hard choices easy life yeah me too Thank you, mate. This has been a really fun conversation. It's been fun. I, um, I've got a few more questions before we Please, before me. we end off, but I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for having me. It's been fun to go into areas I haven't thought about and talked about for a long, long time, if ever. Yeah, well, thank you. I do, I do appreciate it. So 32, mm-hmm. just got married. Congratulations. Got married. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You've got the Human Periscope is your your business. Mm-hmm. You've got the podcast, mm-hmm. 200. I was very happy to hear that there are more episodes to come. Plenty more to come. I was a bit apprehensive. I'm like, surely they're not going to end it at 200. <laughs> like, I mean, it's your podcast, your life, do whatever. Yeah. But I'm like, obviously, big fan. So glad that that was like said in the first couple of minutes of the episode. But you've got these things that you're working on. Mm. Whether it's one thing or not to necessarily read you know, in your from your mind what that 10-year plan looks like, but mm. what are you working towards? What does life look like for you in 5, 10, 20 years' time, whatever you might like to share? Are you, would you like kids? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yes. So the, the, the 5, 10, year 15, again, like we've, we've talked about this, I've actually spent a lot of time thinking about this and writing about this. For me, this idea of meaningful work with interesting people is great because it isn't specific to what that means. And so it, it gives me permission and acknowledges that that might change over time. So right now, meaningful work for me looks like, you mentioned, podcasting, executive coaching, workshops, keynotes. In five years' time, that might be different. I don't know. But as long as I, in my mind, stay true to what is meaningful with interesting people, then I'm comfortable with that. So for me, it's like continue down that path of doing meaningful work with interesting people yeah. on, a, on a professional level or on a work level, I guess. And we have no intention of stopping the podcast. I have no intention of stopping the work that I'm doing now. But who knows what will happen in the future? On a on a personal and family level, yeah, my my wife Tracy and I, who's just the most incredible human I've ever met, her and I are planning to have a little family. And you know, for me, one of the things that's I sort of fell away from 
moving to Melbourne but I've like got back in touch with is like living near the beach. So I live in Elwood now. We're a kilometre from the beach. I grew up near the beach in Ocean Grove like we mentioned but I lived in Richmond and Abbotsford and Parkville and Collingwood and these kind of places for years and so I completely lost touch with that. Like we joked about that salt water being in my veins and so like I see myself and us having a family near the beach, me doing meaningful work with interesting people, Tracy doing her version of meaningful work with interesting people, whatever that looks like for her. Right now she's an incredibly effective and generous executive at, at a big, big company in Australia. Whether that's what she wants to do in the future, she's not sure, I'm not sure, so whatever she wants to do. And yeah, I see a community. Again, I'm not attached to what that looks like. I see travel, not attached to what that looks like, but experiences and hopefully a bit like the experience I had growing up with my mum and dad and my brother and sister, creating my own version of that for our little family mm. is is what I hope to to experience and be part of and create moving forward. Yeah. I think that's I think that's kind of the high level summary. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Meaningful work with interesting people. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Yeah, thank you for sharing all of that. Of course. Thanks for having me. I mean, this conversation fits in with that. So it's been fun. No, I appreciate it, mate. So the final one that I like to end on is really comes from shows like Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan. And mm. I always say a, a brief summary of this in every episode. So if people listen to everyone, they know. But the cliche podcast question, which is what advice would you give to your X age, whether it's younger self or older self? Mm. Typically, if I'm speaking to someone who's maybe around this sort of 50 to 60 age mark, I like to go younger. Yeah. If they're younger, I like to go older. You're in that sort of, I don't know, mid-range yeah. Where we could go both ways. So you can answer whatever you like ultimately. But what advice would you give to, yeah, your younger or older self if you if you could? Yeah. I, you know, I think it goes into the conversation we've been having around the things you're avoiding, whether it's the job or the relationship or like we joked about doing the dishes. So there's a – what's the advice? Whether it's – I don't know if it's trust yourself a little more perhaps or – or some version of like, don't be afraid to make that decision. Like I feel like in all of the situations where I avoided a hard part, I knew I was avoiding a hard part. And so it's not the advice for me is not to recognize that, that there's a hard part because I already knew there was a hard part. For me, it's like, don't be afraid to make that decision or trust yourself to make that decision. Mm. Either one of those, I would say. And I think no matter where I was, and what I was doing, that advice would be relevant. Like making the decision to not study law, making the decision to go to a particular high school instead of going to a fancy private school in Geelong, making the decision to move to Melbourne. Like all of these things, no matter what age I think I would have asked myself that question, it would have been relevant. So I'll go with that. Rad, great advice. Pete Shepard, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, mate. Could you let people know where they can get in touch with you? Anything you'd like to plug that I haven't given mad raps for already? No, you've been very, very generous, <laughs> my friend. Humanperiscope.com is kind of where everything lives. The podcast link is there. The blog link is there. My work is there. And so if anyone's interested, check that out. And I think my email is on the website. So feel free to reach out and send me an email. Beautiful, mate. Thank you. Anything else before we go? Just thanks for having me and keep doing the work you're doing. I love these conversations and I think it gives a lot of people a lot of hope. I'm, I'm sure that you keep showing up and doing this, so keep doing what you're doing. Cheers, mate. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Leave it there. That was fun.
And there it is, another episode of the Hope Initiative. Thank you again to Pete Shepard for taking the time and hosting me uh, there in Richmond. And yeah, guys, as always, you've listened through to this now for one and a half odd hours. I really appreciate you taking the time. If you'd like to share it with a family member or friend, someone you think would get some value out of it, it would mean the world. You can connect with me uh, via Instagram and Twitter. All of those links, as well as links to everything Pete mentioned, are in the show notes of this episode. And until next time, keep on creating your life and all the very best.